Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Here we're looking at chapter 2. We're going through the book of Romans, the greatest letter ever written. And as we get ready to read verses 12 through 16, I want to point your attention to the very, well, I guess it's just verse 11. God shows no partiality. That, that, that's the statement that I'm going to kind of unpack here through verses 12 through 16. What the Bible tells us is that the judgment of God is fair. He shows no favoritism. He is not influenced by wealth, personality, or race when He judges the human race. There is no injustice with God. There will be no injustice on that final day. And verses 12 through 16 Uh, is where Paul kind of makes this case for why this is so. He's going to make the case for why judgment, the judgment of God is fair. So let me read these verses to us, verses 12 through 16. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Romans 2, I'll just start with verse 11, and we'll read through verse 16. It says, For God shows no partiality, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the works of the law, the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Father, please open the eyes of our hearts and minds to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this is a pretty heavy passage here, and so it's going to take some explanation to really get what Paul is saying. He is here making the argument that God's judgment is fair. And he's making this argument by saying this, that on that final day, people will be judged according to at least three things that we see here in this passage. And the first is this, people will be judged by what they have done in their lives on that final judgment day. Um, Verse 12, in verse 12, we see that there are two categories of people that Paul has in mind here. First category is the Jews. Now, he doesn't name them here in verse 12, but this is who he's referring to in verse 12 when he talks about those who have sinned under the law. The Jews are are the people who were given the law of God. So, they were what we might call religious people. That's how I referred to them last week. And so I put that in quotes, we use that term loosely, but we might call Jews the religious people, the people who have an interest in God and a devotion to God, some kind of understanding of God. They would be the typical churchgoer today. That's one group of people that Paul has in mind here. By having the law, what I mean is that uh, we read in the Old Testament that God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, and God had that law written down so that 
the nation of Israel could read God's law and understand specifically and in detail what he desired of them. And that was a privilege given to the Jews, given to the nation of Israel. God did not give the law to the whole world or to any other nation besides the nation of Israel. And so that's one category of people that Paul has in mind. The second category are Gentiles. And those are those who do not have the law. In verse 12, he talks about those who have sinned without the law. So the Gentiles is a reference, or the Greek, as um, Paul refers to it here in this passage. The Gentiles is basically everybody else who's not a Jew. It's the rest of the world. It's those who did not receive the law of God. So we might call these people the non-religious people. They're not interested in, in God. They're living their lives apart from God. They're in kind of modern terminology, they're, they're not regular churchgoers. Now, they do have an internal law written on their hearts. We're going to see that in just a moment. But what Paul's point is here is that the law was not given to the Gentiles externally. For instance, the Ten Commandments that were read just a moment ago, written down for Israel, that law and the rest of the Old Testament law were not given to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles don't have the law, the Jews do have the law. Now some questions are raised here, and Paul is seeking to answer them with regard to this question about whether God is fair in judgment. So the first question is this, is God going to show favoritism to the Jews because they had the law, because God chose them as His people? Are they going to get some kind of a break on, on judgment day? Are they going to get a pass? <laughs> Just because they happened to possess the law, independent of what they did about the law, the fact is God gave them the law, and you can see the average Jew thinking, well, God must have some special favor upon us. We're going to be okay. It doesn't matter how we live or what we do. We've got the law. We're okay. That would seem to be unfair, wouldn't it? And what Paul says is, no, the Jews are not going to get a pass. Because in verse 13, he says, it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, he's not saying that a person can be justified by obeying the law. He makes that very clear later in the book of Romans. The point that he's making here is that the law was given to the Jews so that they would obey it, not just so that they would hear it and listen to it. And that's the same thing here. When you come on Sunday mornings and you hear the word preached, or you go to Sunday school and you hear the word taught, you know, I hope you don't go away thinking, well, I heard the word, therefore I'm okay. No, what the Bible calls us to do is to respond in faith and obedience to what we've heard. And for the Jews, that didn't always happen. They, as you know, throughout the story of the Old Testament, were constantly and repeatedly stiff-necked and hard-hearted. So, Paul's making the case here that the Jews are not going to get a pass. There is no injustice with God on this issue. And implicit in this, kind of undergirding this idea, is this. It's that the Jews are going to be held to a higher standard of living. There's a greater expectation for them because of this privilege. Do you notice verse 12? Again, going back to that, second half of the verse. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. They were given the law, so the law, the written law, is going to be used on Judgment Day to judge the Jew and the religious person. 
to kind of update it. Anybody who has a law, we have the law today as Christians. We have the word. And what Paul is saying is there's an increased expectation because of the unique and special privilege that was given to the Jew at that time. So that's God's fairness and his justice being played out here. Now the second question that somebody might ask is this, <clears throat> well what about the Gentiles? Are they going to be judged by a law that they never had? How can we hold them accountable for obeying the Ten Commandments when they never saw it and never read it and never had the opportunity to consider it? And what Paul says here is, no, there's no injustice here. There's no lack of fairness here because, again, in verse 12, all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And what Paul means here is that God's not going to pull out the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament to the Gentiles who never read it and, said, and say, see, you never did these things, therefore I'm going to judge you. That would be unfair, wouldn't it? to judge them for a standard they never saw. What Paul is saying is that's not the standard by which they're going to be judged. But, but notice here that he's not saying the Gentiles are going to get a pass. <clears throat> he's not saying that, oh, since they didn't see the Bible, they didn't have the law, therefore in their ignorance God is just going to overlook and save them and let them into heaven because they didn't have enough light to make a decision about how to live. That's not what he says. In verse 12 he says those who sin without the law are going to perish without the law, if they're not in Christ. And that's the, decision, the uh, argument that Paul's going to go on to make throughout the rest of the book of Romans. The reason that the Gentiles are perishing is not because they've seen the law and have rebelled against it, it's because they have rebelled against an internal law, and we're going to ex I'll explain that to you in a moment. But the point here that Paul is making is that there is no injustice with God. He's perfectly fair. He's not giving the Jews a pass because they just had the law. And he's not going to judge the Gentiles on a law that they didn't have. God is fair in all of his judgments. Now, by way of application, I, I think we just have to say this, and I mentioned it last week, but if the Jews are the ones who are held to a higher expectation, if that's kind of the, the so-called religious people, church-going people, to update that for our age, that just means that everybody in this room who's hearing the Word of God right now, by, pre, by the words coming out of my mouth, unpacking the passage of Scripture that we have here, your accountability before God is being increased right now. For every single sermon that you've heard and every bit of the Bible that you've read and everything that you've learned throughout your lives about God and who He is and what He expects and what He's done for you in Jesus Christ, every bit of that going into your brains and hearts is increasing your accountability, holding you to a higher standard of living because you are privileged. Think of all the millions of people in the world today who've never heard the gospel, never heard the word of God. That's not you. You have heard it. And so Peter makes this case in 1 Peter 4. It is time for judgment to begin with all of those in the world who are atheists. No, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. How, how does that affect the way you live your life? How does that affect the plans that you're making for your lives? How does that affect what you're planning to do this weekend, knowing that there is this increased expectation? 
To whom much is given, much will be expected. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. So the judgment of God is fair because he's going to judge people by what they've done in their lives. But the judgment of God is also fair because people are going to be judged by what they know in their hearts as well. By what they know in their hearts. So Paul goes on here. Um, C.S. Lewis, in the opening of, of Mere Christianity, he, he opens that book by talking about the way people quarrel, or the way people argue with each other. And, and he, he notes these examples of what people say when they argue. They say things like this. They say, hey, that's my seat. I was there first. Or they say, wait a minute, you haven't done this yet for me, and you promised. Come on. You promised. Or we say, hey, leave her alone. She hasn't done anything to you. Why are you bothering her? Leave her alone. She's innocent. And what Lewis says is that all those kinds of arguments where we kind of complain about some kind of an injustice, they all assume that there's a standard there. They all assume a standard that, that the two people arguing ought to know, but not only that, but that the two people arguing ought to be willing to follow. It's just assumed. Come on, you promised. What's the complaint? That when you make a promise, you keep it. And if you don't, you violated something. You've done something wrong. So Lewis goes on to make this point that there are, there are laws in our world. There are scientific laws we know. There's a law of gravity that tells a stone what to do when you drop it. But what Lewis says is that there are also moral laws that tell human beings what they ought to do in their lives, how we ought to live. There's a moral law. But now look how Paul talks about this in verses 14 and 15. In verse 14, he says, when the Gentiles who do not have the law, they didn't get the Ten Commandments, but they by nature do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. What Paul is saying is that it's very possible for Gentiles, non-churchgoers, non-religious people, atheists, agnostics, whatever, it's very possible for them to do good things. You know, as Christians, we should never say that all atheists are horrible, awful people. Sometimes I think they think that's what we think of them, but we shouldn't because Paul is saying right here, it's very possible for them to do things that the law requires. Why? Why are they able to do that? <clears throat> Verse 15, because they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. They've never seen the law, they've never seen the Bible, they've never read the Ten Commandments, but there is an internal moral law written on their hearts. It's not written down on a stone or a scroll or a book for them, it's not written in that way, but it is written in here. And Lewis goes on to say, you know, we, we can just see this in so many places. You know, show me the culture that celebrates the coward who runs away in battle. Show me the culture that has great admiration for the person who decides to cheat everybody who's ever been kind to him in his life. Show me the culture where that's something that's lifted up as something to be emulated as an example of virtue. You won't find it. And we could come up with countless other examples. And the reason is because 
there is this moral law written on the hearts of every person. There is a universal morality that is understood by all that doesn't change from religion to religion or culture to culture. And what Paul is saying here is something that should change our minds with regard to this question of relativism. And we hear this a lot in a postmodern world that we all just make up our own truths and our own morality. And Paul says, no, there's a written law in everybody's heart and everybody is accountable to it. It's binding on all. A lot of people disagree with that. No, I'm just going to decide on my own what's right. There's the Christian view of right. There's the Muslim view of what's right. There's the Mormon view of what's right. There's the atheist view of what's right. And we all have our own little moralities, not according to Paul. And so Lewis says it like this, whenever you find a man who says he does not believe in a real right and wrong, you will find the same man going back on this a moment later. He may break his promise to you, but if you try breaking one to him, he will be complaining it's not fair before you can say Jack Robinson. That's because everybody knows what is right. And that includes you. The, the, the law of God is written on your heart too. And it's written on your children's hearts and it's written on your husband's heart and your wife's heart. It's written on the heart of the people that you disagree with, the people that you're against, the people that you have prejudices against. The law of God is written on their heart. The law of God is written on the heart of Dylan Roof who went into a church and killed nine African Americans in a church this past week. He, he knew that was the wrong thing to do and he will be judged for it. The law of God was written on his heart just as much as it was written on your heart. Now this is not to say that everything is equally clear when we think about what's right and wrong. It's hard to know what should I major in in college. There are certain ethical decisions that are difficult. It's not told us in the Bible where we should live, what job we should have, the person we should marry. I mean, it's not everything is equally clear, but when it comes to basic moral values, like, being selfless, serving others, telling the truth, those kinds of things, everybody knows this because of this law of God. And so the judgment of God is fair because, okay, the Gentiles, they don't have the written law, but they have the law written on their hearts, and they have committed sins against that law. And so when God calls them to give an account for their deeds on the final day, He will be entirely just and fair in condemning them if the righteousness of Jesus Christ is not theirs by faith. And there's no, fair, there's no unfairness in that. Because of what we've done in our lives, because of what we know in our hearts, and then lastly, God is fair because people will be judged by what they think in their minds. Paul mentions the word conscience in verse 15. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while they're conscience also bears witness. What, what is a conscience? A conscience is a God-given ability to discern right from wrong. It's this internal moral guide, the written law in our hearts, then affects the way we think, and then our conscience is activated to either accuse us or excuse us, Paul says at the end of verse 15. They're conflicting thoughts. This is going on in our minds that either accuse or excuse us. You all know what this is like. You've all been through this. You know what it's like to have your conscience kind of talking to you and challenging you. 
either accusing you, you shouldn't have done that, you better not do that, or excusing you. That was a good thing to do. The moral law, expressing itself through your conscience. Like that, you know, typically you see the picture of the person with a, an angel and a devil on their shoulder, and, you know, both are kind of talking into their ear, and they're looking back and forth trying to figure out which are they going to obey. That's, that's kind of a good picture of the way conscience works. You know what this is like. Now, it's possible, I think, to blunt our conscience, to maybe not totally silence it, but at least to sear the conscience. That's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.2. The conscience can become seared. And in that case, it's not a reliable guide. And so the question of whether our conscience is reliable or not, that's a complicated question, I think. If the conscience is seared, it's not reliable. But for most of us, it is reliable, and our conscience will become increasingly reliable to the degree that you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, exposing yourself to the Scriptures, and listening to and conforming your life to God's Word. The conscience becomes a more reliable guide. But with this question, will God's judgment be fair? Well, again, the answer is yes, because we all know that we have silenced our consciences on various occasions. All of us know that. You've done it, and I have too. Our conscience is accusing us, and we just say, I'm just going to turn away. I'm just going to put a blanket over that, because I want to do this. And this is why we have to be careful about making judgments on whether God's judgment is fair or not, because none of us knows what's going on in the consciences of people throughout this church and throughout the world. You, you don't know, but God does. God knows what's going on in the minds of every conscience. And so He is perfectly capable, competent, and in a perfect position to make judgments on human beings. He goes on to say in verse 16, On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men. God's going to judge our secrets. There's um, that song by Sufjan Stevens on, it's about John Wayne Gacy, who was a serial killer in Chicago many years ago. And um, the song ends, uh, Sufjan sings, um, in my best behavior, I'm really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have hid. What are your secrets today? Those things going on in your mind and in your conscience, and nobody knows about it. But God does. And that's why he's going to be perfectly fair in his judgment. Well, let me conclude here by just <coughs> noting this. There, there is hope for those who are going to face judgment day one day, and that's all of us. And musicians, if you want to come forward, this would be the time to do that. No, notice how this passage ends. Notice here in verse 16 that this judgment, it says, is going to um, take place by Christ Jesus. God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. This is part of the gospel. Isn't that interesting? We think of the gospel as just merely forgiveness of sins. The gospel involves judgment be because the gospel is not just deliverance from your 
bad self-esteem or from your unhappiness, the gospel is deliverance from the judgment of God, the wrath of God. And this is here in verse 16, because what we're told is that Jesus is the judge. On judgment day, the one to whom you'll give an account is Jesus. And if you're a Christian, that's, that's really good news. Um, when I was in Indianapolis, I got a speeding ticket once driving to work, going downtown, and I um, can't really remember why, but I decided I would contest it for some reason. And so I remember I went to the courtroom, and I was standing there before the judge, and the judge recognized my name and said, you know what, I, I know your grandfather. I said, really? Yeah, Robert O'Bannon. And, and just kind of went on talking about my grandfather and how much he liked him. And I could tell this, this is good for me. <laughs> this is a positive development. And sure enough, the, the judge had mercy on me and just, just waved the ticket because he knew my grandfather. Well, friends, the situation is so much better for the Christian, for you who have placed faith in Christ, because when you stand on judgment day before Jesus, you have the assurance that the judge is also your savior. He doesn't just know your grandfather, he's your savior. He's the one who came and died for you and shed his blood for you to pay the penalty for all that you've done in your life, for all that you've known in your heart and have put aside, for all the secrets that you have coddled and cherished over the years. Your judge will be the one who has wiped them all away. And there's only one fair and righteous judgment on that day for the Christian. And it's this, not guilty, righteous in my sight through faith alone. That's the judgment for the Christian. Don't you want to be a Christian if you're not? (laughs) Judgment day is coming. You will face judgment. There's nothing more essential than that you face judgment with Jesus as your Savior, not just your judge, but your Savior as well. We're going to hear more about that as we come to the Lord's table to feed on His body and His blood. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You, Lord, for warning us about the coming judgment. It is real, and we confess we are prone to dismiss it and forget about it, but we thank You for reminding us that that day is coming. Thank you most of all, though, for delivering us from your wrath through the work of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.